You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. Ross, your own organisation, you're obviously full-time uh, in an organisation called For Evansville. Yes. Um, the, now, in your um, website, you have four of you in a photograph. Are you yep. all staff? Yeah, so we've got uh, one other full-time person, uh, Jonathan, and he does uh, communications and storytelling. <clears throat> and then we just brought on in January um, Adrian. She's a coordinator for operations and communications, so she works with both of us. Um, she does about 30 hours a week. And then on contract, we have Regina. And Regina is um, this, actually what she's doing is something called Charity Tracker, which is an online shared database. And um, it is basically a way for nonprofits, churches, government agencies, to share information about assistance they're giving out. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So I, I actually grew up in Indianapolis, so bigger city, uh, up just up the road, uh, three hours. Uh, but then I finished high school here, and I always thought that Evansville was sort of uh, not a place I wanted to stay. <laughs> kind of a bump on the journey, and I uh, went to college and seminary, got married, and then we I went to seminary in Chicago. And then got married and we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, which was great, great city. It's just a uh, explosive growth. Um, pretty, pretty fun place. And got it tied up to into a ministry called Charlotte One, which was uh, one of their founding board members was Rob Kelly. You might I know Rob. Him. Um, so Rob and I became friends and I eventually became the director of that organization. And it was my dream job, dream city, Charlotte. Um, and it, we were basically helping churches uh, engage millennials, um, and we would create a tool that they could leverage, and it became kind of a, <clears throat> excuse me, a strand of unity is how we phrased it. Um, but every church was sort of wrestling with where's the younger generation, and how do we connect with them, and how do we keep the ones we have, and uh, we were just trying to create things that helped with that. And so we had 40 or 50 partner churches, and I was having a blast. Um, and then I, I was raising support for that from back in Evansville. Uh, the church that ordained me had sent me out and was in Charlotte doing that stuff. So I would come back here once a year and connect with families that were uh, raising, that I was raising support from. And one of those times I met a business leader here who had connected with my father and they got to talking about what their kids are up to and he said, hey, it sounds really interesting what Ross is doing in Charlotte. If he's in town, I'd love to meet up with him. And this guy's name was Tom, and he had launched I Am Second in Evansville. Um, so I don't know if you heard of that, um, but people shared their personal transformation story. It's based in Dallas. I have all kinds of celebrities that have kind of told their testimony, basically. Um, and so he had this thing going in Evansville. So I, I got a chance to meet with him and hear a little bit about what he was doing. I shared about Charlotte and then went back to Charlotte and continued doing the job. 
And then he called me seven months later out of nowhere. We had had no other connection other than this one hour together. And he just said, hey, Ross, I've been praying about this idea of city transformation, yeah, which is the phrase he used. And he had been listening to like Tim Keller and the Palau Association and things like that. And he said, you know, I'm really passionate about evangelism and people knowing who Jesus is, but there's, there's something more that God wants me to learn. And he's put it in my heart that our city is supposed to be a transformed place if people are going to know who he is. And I was like, that sounds awesome, Tom. I totally agree. That's really cool. And I can see how what I'm doing in Charlotte contributes to that. And I have a real interest in that conversation. And he said, well, I figured you would. And that's why I'm calling because I think we need somebody to wake up every day in Evansville thinking, how can the church work together to see a transformed city um, and work alongside everyone else here as well? And I was like, I don't want to move to Evansville. <laughs> so uh, I had about a five month journey uh, with the Lord about Evansville. And Tom was, I mean, he was in his late sixties, entrepreneur, successful, driven guy, like wasn't going to take no for an answer. So every time I talked to him, he'd call me a couple of weeks later and said, Hey, have you been praying about that? And I said, well, yeah, yeah I've been praying a little bit about it. And really love what I'm doing in Charlotte. He said, well, hey, well, let me, let, why don't you just send me a plan of what I could tell someone what, what you would do basically if you were, you were starting, you know, just in case it's not you, but I could leverage it, you know, in the future. So uh, I did, I put, I, I had basically read Swanson's book to transform a city and Ray Bakke and, and I kind of just decided, uh, okay, here's the six things I would start with in the first year. And looking back, they were probably a three-year plan, really. Um, so I sent him that, and he said, okay, why don't you send me the budget? <laughs> so, so I sent him the budget, and um, probably a couple of weeks later, I guess it was, he called me back, and he just said, hey, Ross, I really like what you've got here. I can get really behind this, and um, I think we can take care of this. <laughs> I just said, what do you mean we can take care of it? He's like, you don't need to, to worry about fundraising, at least for the first few years. And I was like, a totally, uh, I mean, just shocked. Um, so, so anyways, I then still had to wrestle with a big question, which was, I just didn't really want to move to Evansville. So, you know, it's a smaller city. I was Chicago, Indianapolis, Charlotte, bigger cities. And I, I had to really go on a, I guess you could say a journey with God about this. And I remember very vividly uh, reading in Eric's book and talking with my dad and a couple other trusted people. The thing that kept coming back in different words were was simply, you can't be an agent of transformation in a city you don't love. And at the time, it kind of felt like, yeah, it makes sense. But now, like looking back, I think that's like the most important lesson I've learned. <laughs> so, so I just could hear God asking me, you know. You can go to Evansville, you know, all these things are paved, you know, made it very possible, got networks there, you've got family connections, and it's a smaller city, maybe you can envision this more, and um, it's two degrees of separation, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things, but, but I love Evansville, the question is, will you love the people that I love, and I just couldn't get that out of my head, so I eventually said yes. And we moved like two weeks after our second son was born and it was just, uh, just chaos when we moved, but no job description, 
no organization, just a guy who had called me out of the blue and said, I'll, I'll be sure to donate and make sure you can get, get some pay. So um, what was really cool that first year, um, he was open enough uh, to let me just listen. So I didn't, I didn't do anything other than meet with people. And it was an unforgettable year. And anytime I talk to people doing this stuff, I'm, I just say, carve out as much time as your funders, benefactors, whoever will let you to just listen. So I, I had a strategy about how I would listen. So I, I wanted to meet with people in every channel of culture and then have a special interest in meeting with pastors. So I just started networking. And anytime I got a meeting, I would just ask who else should I meet with to learn? And I, and I didn't have an agenda. You know, I was literally just asking people, what do we celebrate? What can you tell me about Evansville? What do you love about this place? What bothers you about Evansville? Why aren't we overcoming our obstacles? Um, what were the key historical moments in our city that really, you know, have come to define us? Um, what are your hopes and dreams for our city? How do you fit into the flourishing of this place? And what would, what would it look like if we all started to pursue the common good together? What would need to happen? Um, and, you know, what I realized was people don't get asked those questions very often, but they have a lot to say. And it was so nice because I could just meet with them without, I didn't represent an organization. I didn't represent church. I was just this guy that was, you know, in his early thirties at the time. And people in the early thirties rarely moved back to Evansville. And so there was sort of an intrigue of like, oh, this is great. You're a rebounder. You know, you've come back to our city. Uh, we want to hear why. Um, and I would describe it to a non-believer as I'm trying to figure out what it would look like for people to work together more closely and in better relationship to pursue the common good. Um, and that was appealing to them. And then for church leaders, you know, I would ask the same questions and usually not get as thoughtful answers about the city. And I would get um, blank stares when I would say, like, tell me about the Church of Evansville. Uh, because there was such a, you know, well, I, I mean, we're not very connected. I don't know what you mean. Like, which church are you talking about? Um, who's included in the Church of Evansville, would you say? And I would, oh, that's up to you to answer. <laughs> um, so it was just a great opportunity to observe and learn and listen, but also build relationships. Um, you know, that was really a, a fun part of it. And so I did that. I had, I think, 200 one-on-one -on -one meetings. And then I tried to find every city plan I could get my hands on. Metropolitan development, bike trails, um, plans we had historically that we either did or didn't do, what the dreams were. Um, and I didn't get to read every page, but I skimmed them, you know, downtown development, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it was really, really cool. And then I participated in some community leadership programs that would connect me with more people. Um, so none of them were faith-based, but the, I got to volunteer with the Chamber of Commerce, the United Way, um, and then a, a local group here that's uh, sort of like servant leadership mindset. They've been around 40 years in our city and they do retreats. So I went on a retreat with 30 other people and just got to trace our city's history and dream about what we want it to be. And it just did things like that where I really got a chance to like exegete the city. Um, and that, that was, that was really, really cool. And then I would say, at least in my experience, there have been 
key like providential moments that have sort of launched like the next step. Um, so that first one was the phone call and the freedom to just listen. Uh, the second one was there's a local Christian foundation here um, that had commissioned Barna to do a study on the people in the area, their spiritual lives. Um, and they had done it like the year before I got here and they were a year and a half later ready to like release the results. Um, and so it was a more in-depth study than Barna usually does on cities. And they had a big interest in getting it out to church leaders. Um, but historically they had been uh, not as successful getting an audience with church leaders. And so they knew that I had been going around and meeting with, you know, 50 plus church leaders. And they said, Hey, would you help us invite church leaders to a launch where we can present some of this data and then ask the question about, well, what does it mean? What could we do to get like, what should we, how should we respond? Um, and so that gave me the opportunity to start convening. Um, and so we got to kind of leverage the listening and the, the trust that came along with that listening um, to then bring people into the same room and start asking basically three core questions that Swanson lays out in his book um, that we continue to leverage at every gathering, which is about once a quarter now, except for in the pandemic. Um, so we're figuring out how to re-kick off. But those questions were, what kind of city would God build if he started from scratch? And we go to Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 and that he's bringing all things in heaven together with all things on earth in Christ. Um, and we just paint this vision of what's the Shalom city look like. Um, and, and <clears throat> that is sort of a interesting dialogue about what the gospel is. Um, and it, that can go into a lot of places. Um, and then the second question is what are the needs and dreams of our city? Um, and since I had had a great chance to listen and we had this study from the foundation on the spiritual lives of people in the area, we had a lot of things we could, communicate about what that was um, or particular issues or concepts that we really wanted people to grasp or they wanted to learn about. Um, and then the third question was, what's your church's calling and capacity? And the intersection of those three answers is where we can all work together, but we can also work together with our city, no matter what perspective they have. Um, and so it just kind of, we just started kind of giving people conceptual models uh, about what it would look like if we work together or to start saying things like the church of Evansville um, and how many churches are in Evansville, I would ask them and they would throw out their numbers and I would say one, you know, and they would throw tomatoes at me. Uh, <laughs> but, but really just that mindset of, you know, what, is, what does it mean to think of ourselves as one church in a particular city? And why are we here in 2021? And what was God asking us to do? Um, and B. <clears throat> and so those conversations, I had the approach of, I didn't want to, um, I really didn't want to give church leaders something to do. <laughs> I felt like every nonprofit, every parachurch ministry, that's what they're saying to church leaders is, you're not doing X and you should be doing X. So why aren't you doing X? <laughs> um, and I just think that that's a losing strategy um, because they have a thousand things on their plate that they're worried about. And <clears throat> I really didn't, I really didn't want that. And so I hoped that if we could paint a vision of what God's doing in our city and what our city wants to see and where there's overlap, that they would rise to the challenge and basically say, 
we have resources and calling and capacity. Let's go into this space. And I wish that the chapter could close with, and they started X, Y, and Z, and everything is different. And that did not happen. <laughs> it was, uh, it's still something that I really wrestle with because uh, we've we've kind of added a fourth strategy to what we do. So the, the, the first three were convene, cultivate, which is sort of like a, a missional clarity kind of stuff, and then storytell. <clears throat> so we started doing a lot of storytelling about what kind of city we want to be, and that's um, it's not very churchy um, how we tell the story. But the fourth one we add is navigate. Um, and so there are times when we have the right um, moment or trust where we can do more than suggest um, or imply and actually direct um, and help and help say, okay, we can see where we're going and some paths to get there. We may not be the captain on the boat. We're, we're the we're the guy up in the in the oh wow, what do they call that? The, the nest at the top of the boat. Right, uh, crow's nest. Yes, the crow's nest. <laughs> so we're the we're the, we like to be that that guy up there. Um, and we our best example of that is foster care. So you know that's sort of orphans in the U.S. Right. So we we have a a pretty significant crisis uh, relative to other cities. Um, and so we kind of raised that issue and then uh, provided some more tools and opportunities to convene, started um, paying a stipend to somebody to help like, hey, let's go learn from this organization and this government you know, agency and this organization and what's this church doing? And we had some pretty good traction with that, um, but we haven't stayed. If When we step off the gas, um, it tends to slow down significantly. Um, so we, we're still working on, you know, what does that look like for us at, for Evansville to play a different role? Um, I would say, you know, if you're familiar with Rob, um, yeah. one thing, I mean, I want to learn a bunch from Rob and we talk, you know, a lot and I love the platform idea. We would, we'd like to try to do that, but we're not scaling for the same thing that he is. So he would say, I think that he's scaling basically for the church itself in Evansville, because the city is smaller and there's a little bit different cultural atmosphere related to church. Um, I feel like we have an opportunity to really focus on the whole city and not just the church. And so we, especially during the pandemic, um, I like to say that our organization went from like infant to young adolescent or something. Um, because we were given a lot of opportunity to convene social sector leaders uh, around how to collaborate and what what questions should we be solving together and got a lot of uh, good credibility through that. And so I, I want to see what we scale is basically, and we haven't figured this out, how do we get <clears throat> one person to set, to recognize and intentionally not just be in Evansville, but to be for Evansville? And for us, that means they're intentionally pursuing the flourishing of the city. Um, now, we hope that it's a gospel idea of flourishing, uh, but we recognize that there'll be people who identify with that language and passion and start pursuing the flourishing of the city in their own concept of it. Uh, but that gives the church a, a unique way to engage that person to say, we care about this too. 
and we can do it together. And that puts them in relationship and mission. You know, they have that commonality. Um, so we think that's a better, not better, but a, an evangelistic strategy that we can leverage too. Um, <clears throat> but we're a long ways off from really building all of it. So that's kind of been our, I don't know, quick overview. Uh, just circling back, how, how big is Evansville? So the, the metropolitan statistical area is about 325, 325,000. Yeah. And the city area is about 180,000. Yeah. Um, about how many, I, I know there's only one church in every city, but how many congregations? Yeah, 250 or so. Um, I think if you, you know, there's a lot of churches that would be 50 or less in that yeah. 250 though, and older and trying to figure out what church looks like. I'd say, you know, there's probably about 100 to 150 that are really active. Um, probably something like that. And is that a reasonable number by U.S. standards? It seems, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's about the same ratio as Charlotte, which likes to say it's the most church city in the country. But, it, you know, all of them are pretty churched. Um, I, yeah. You know, we're, we're in the Midwest Bible Belt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, church is a cultural reality. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. What level of unity among church leaders do you have? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we haven't figured out a way to really track it other than asking church leaders, like, how connected do you feel? Um, we actually are working with a consultant that's building us a evaluation model for how we track relational trust among church leaders. Um, but that's all kind of connected to what we're doing with them. And that's only a portion of what they're doing, you know, in total. Um, but I know for like when I came and listened, um, I probably didn't have any church leaders uh, say they were positive or excited about the state of church unity um it, that was in 2016 and today i think if you asked you would get um a handful of well maybe 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 more than that but you'd get a, a portion of the church especially evangelical churches that would say we feel more connected um and less divided but i would all i you know I, I struggle with how to lead through this because we have a lot of church splits. <laughs> I mean, probably four of them happened during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Uh, and it just, it's just so sad. You know, I, I'm constantly reminded of Leslie Newbigin, who wrote this book called, well, it's lectures he gave in the 50s, uh, Household of God. And he says in there, I mean, actually, when I read that book, I was just blown away because, uh, it's like all of the conversation that people doing city stuff are having, but like he said it 70 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I just, I thought it was amazing. But he's one quote he has is that uh, disunity in the church is an unbearable self-contradiction. Yeah. And I think yeah. that those two words together, unbearable self-contradiction, mm -hmm are so far removed from what I experience of the church in my city uh, that it's unfathomable. 
almost to know what that would even look like. Um, and so, you know, there's, yeah, so that's the reality too. So I think that there's a, there's growing relationships between pastors um, on one level. And then on another level, like if you were to just ask a random person in our city who isn't really going to church, I think they would say, obviously the church is divided. <laughs> you know? um, and I don't know that we've made much of a dent in the reputation uh, of it. Are there any regular get-togethers of church leaders to pray and fellowship and work yes. together? Yeah, so there has been, there was one starting uh, even before I was here, um, a group of um, pastors that were meeting weekly to pray together and pray for the city, uh, probably anywhere from 10 to 30 or 40, hmm. um, depending on the week. And mostly a charismatic um, background, and they've they've done a good job of continuing that and and then we've been convening church leaders since 2016 around these questions about every quarter and one of the reasons we did that is because in my listening um it was clear that none nothing really was happening that was sort of mission focused we had the prayer thing going on but it wasn't um you know well there were some barriers to entry probably based on your denominational preferences in that prayer meeting. But then also, um, I know there was an association of ministers that had stopped maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And there was one other group, and I can't remember it, and they had stopped meeting as well, maybe five years before. Um, and so there really was a gap um, in, in opportunities to build that. And we, we really started with the mindset of being a neutral convener, um, where it wasn't one of the churches doing it or some other entity um we wanted to say this is a neutral space we we buy the food we bring in the speaker they don't pay anything um they just show up and we try to provide a lot of time for relational connection and then also to focus them on like what's the mission and, and how do we have a common mission what does that even mean how do we explore that is there any uh, church leader that stands out as passionate for the unity of the church and its city mission there's a couple people that come to mind. Um, I don't know if everybody would identify them though. So like yeah. I would. So there's, yeah, there's two of the larger evangelical churches. Their leaders have been, um, they'll, say, they'll talk about it uh, in meetings with the staff, sometimes in sermons, um, and they'll be present at those gatherings, which is really encouraging. And then the guy who's been leading uh, the prayer time for pastors, uh, the weekly one that's been going like seven years, um, he is constantly, constantly leading about unity. We actually had a really cool moment at Easter last year uh, when we couldn't meet um, the, let's see. So in February, I had convened a group of church leaders around the idea of a collaborative sort of Good Friday service um, and how they were going to have multiple pastors preach and try to do something together. And then it was like, well, we're not going to do that because we can't be in person. But then there was sort of another conversation about, well, what if we went to the mall parking lot and just invited people to show up in their cars? We'll shut up, we'll set up a stage and just, we'll celebrate Easter together. So we had like 1100 cars come out for an Easter service that was put on by like 12 churches. Um, and that was, that was a cool moment. Um, really neat. 
so different, you know, different people got to do different things on the, on the platform. Mm -hmm. And it really did represent had a good video representing all the churches. And that was really neat. And we had a, um, a really big effort called need a neighbor, which we leveraged another nonprofits uh, platform to connect uh, neighbors who had a need, whether it was, I, I can't get out to get groceries or I'm, you know, I, whatever the need was, maybe somebody to pray with me somebody to just come say hi and talk to me outside my house or bring me groceries or bring me a meal. Um, and then we connected them to people in um, 30 different churches um, that would go and meet that need. Um, so our two organizations kind of worked together to do that. And we got to really leverage that at the Easter service. And um, that was a really, the way the church responded to the pandemic in the first few months was pretty remarkable. So what what would you say has encouraged you the most? I mean, I suppose what I'm saying, asking, what what have been the outcomes of this these five years of effort that have brought encouragement? And then I guess the secondary question, um, what's been the um, lessons or the discouragement uh, no, points? Are good. Um, well, I I think the the pandemic year really. Um, was an opportunity for us to see the impact that we weren't really seeing before. Um, so leveraging our convening um, reputation. Um, so like the president of the United Way asked us to convene the organizations that were doing financial assistance and to say, hey, we want to move in the direction of a shared database. We've been trying for over a decade and it's never happened. And we think you can help us get there in this moment. <laughs> and to me, that meant like all those five years of building relational trust and navigating the conversation about working together. And, um, you know, just that that was a, a cool moment for me um, just to hear our city say, we see you helping us move forward together. Um, so that wasn't even church related um, ch on the church front. I, you know, really, it's it's the it's what I hear from church leaders about the work we're doing, um, you know, and, and I don't, we don't really survey them. We don't have like metrics necessarily. Um, but it's that idea of, uh, we, we met through one of your events and now we're meeting, you know, every once in a while we get together or, you know, you helped us with this conversation we weren't paying attention to. And we see that we can learn here and, and shift. Um, and so I've heard, you know, heard from a dozen or a couple dozen, church leaders over the years of that, that opportunity that they didn't have before to connect um, and how valuable that is to them. Um, so that's been a really big win. Um, I'm also really proud of our storytelling stuff, which I haven't talked about a yet. Um, but Jonathan has done an incredible job of trying to tell the story of what it looks like to love your neighbor and who is your neighbor uh, without using that language. So we did, uh, actually we were trying to tell the story of change in one particular neighborhood and how people had come together from nonprofits and churches and government and business. And it was sort of documentary-esque and it just didn't have the punch and like poignancy that we wanted it to. And so I told him, let's go back to the drawing board and write a narrative um, and just try to use the power of story to really help people see our city differently. And so he came back with this script a month later after I told him he had to go listen to these seven people talk about poverty in Evansville. And it was really powerful. And, he, and we worked with a local filmmaker and we put this together. And um, 
we got a lot of exposure in our city um, and then virally as well. I think it had over 350,000 views. And then we won this regional Emmy, which I think this is not that meaningful, but it sounds really cool. Um, but we're competing with like Louisville and Cincinnati and St. Louis and some of these bigger cities. Um, and so Left Turn won an Emmy. And then we kept doing this sort of narrative film. We've done four of those and we're now doing some docu-series on faith and work integration. And that's one of my personal passions. I'm working on my doctorate of ministry in faith work economics. Um, and just trying to figure out how do we help people see a more compelling story than the one they're seeing in front of them. And we are convinced the best way to do that is through the arts. And we want to focus on the storytelling. So I've, I've been very excited about what we've been able to produce for people to leverage. I'm discouraged at the moment about our connection with church leaders because we haven't been able to meet. And I think that church leaders probably feel alone and ill-equipped and at their wits end about what's next. Um, it feels like everything is different, but like, I'd really like to go back to what it was, you know, um, but we can't. Um, and so I think there's a lot of um, internal wrestling probably. And I just feel disconnected from that a little bit. And so we're, we're actually just putting together a strategy for how we can go back out and carve out the time in our calendars to just meet with pastors. And I want to keep that as a, a core priority now that the we're kind of getting out of the majority of the chaos. I would say the other thing about, about me is I'm really passionate um, about the faith and work conversation. And I feel like a city movement that has a bunch of workers who are Christians realize like what they do counts, that it's not secondary, that they don't have to be a missionary. Um, around the world or a pastor or a nonprofit leader to do kingdom work. And actually the work they're doing is what's going to transform our city. Um, man, I just, to me, that's it Two, If there were two silver bullets and I was asked to identify them <laughs> for city movements and city transformation, I would say there is love your neighbor, the ones that you have proximity to and the ones that come in contact with you. But then secondly, rethink your work in a in a in a bigger theological frame of what god intends for work i think if, if every christian did that in evansville we'd have a totally transformed city so i want to converge these conversations more and more and i serve as an elder at, at my church it's a pretty new thing it was a bad rookie year um <laughs> it was a challenging rookie year i should say um, but I told him uh, last week, I was like, I'm on a mission to abolish the phrase full-time ministry from our vocabulary because I think it is hindering the very thing we want. And they just sort of laugh and go, yeah, you, you sound a little crazy. Um, but they sort of get it too. Um, or like we're commissioning two missionaries who are going to the Philippines, um, which is great and we should. Uh, but I said, well, you know, we ought to commission the teachers that are that have been going, you know, sent out on mission in Christ to go and bring flourishing to students' lives, um, as well as the construction workers and everyone else down the line. Um, and, you know, we'll see if we get to those commissionings or not, but I think that's really important for the city movement conversation. Uh, Ross, we've used up our hour and uh, I've really appreciated it, no end. I'm excited about uh, your story. I'm excited about you. It's just been lovely to uh, hear your heart and your passion and um, 
and uh, everything that you're into and who you are. So uh, thank you so much.